0: Hi everyone, I'm Aviva Rumani, and welcome to Kindred Cast, a bi-weekly podcast featuring insights from deal makers and thought leaders from the world of tech, media, and everything in between. Kindredcast is a production of Kindred Media powered by LionTree. Today we bring you an in-depth conversation with Scooter Braun, one of the entertainment industry's biggest power brokers and the founder of SB Projects, and Lion Tree CEO Arya Borkov. Braun's roster of the top pop culture icons under his management, record label, and publishing companies includes Justin Bieber, Kanye West, Ariana Grande, Usher, Carly Kloss, to name a few. Enjoy.
1: Scooter, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm gonna start off by reading Scooter's mission statement, which I found to be creative and interesting and very pointed. Quote, our goal is to create an environment where a fear and failure are nothing more than rest stops on the road to success. We wanna motivate people to find their path to purpose and execute on it. We wanna turn excitement into movement. We wanna create reality from our dreams. We want a young person to wake up in the morning and realize that they have meaning. And that meaning has worth. What is our goal? our goal is to inspire the world to try." End quote. So thanks for being here. I have a few standard kindred cast questions. I'm ready. That I'm gonna throw at you. First, you guys
2: can't see us, but I'm in a t-shirt and shorts and a pair of Yeezys and REA is looking quite dapper. <laughs> quite dapper, he's- No like, tie. No tie, but just smooth as hell right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I envy your garb. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> okay, first of all, how do you think the company's gonna evolve in the next 10 years?
2: We have great EBITDA now. I think the EBITDA will grow, but we're going to have to become more of an asset-driven business. I think that we've been developing that and doing more and more of it over the years, but we're still a tremendous service business. I learned from Jimmy Iovine that you can take that ability to be close to culture and turn it into real products. So I think that we'll play in the asset world from publishing assets to the label assets that we're building to even products, consumer products, gaming. I think we'll go more into that space and we'll develop, I think as content becomes more and more valuable, you know, we just launched our digital studio and we'll keep working in that space. And I actually think we will play a much more active role in social issues and activism, because I just feel like that's something important to me because it, you can make all the money in the world, but you know, I got kids now, I got a responsibility.
1: And you have the platform. Absolutely. I see a framed picture on your wall that uh, has four words on it, imagine, Create, execute, and deliver. What are those about?
2: That was a gift. I used to have a T-Mobile sidekick when I was in college building my business as a party promoter. I made these tagline because I was like, that's how I do things. I imagine, then I create, then I execute, then I deliver. And that was my tagline on all my emails to this day for years. And my buddy liked it. And he like made that for me as a gift when we opened our first office.
1: The execution part is so key.
2: That's the no substitution for hard work. The imagine is nothing reasonable ever became great only unreasonable things became great. And that's Will Smith said that. I loved it. You got to think big.
1: And differently. Yeah. You got to be a little bit of a contrarian.
2: Yeah, completely. That would be unreasonable. Me and Kanye had a conversation this morning and I said, we need to be thoughtful, but we need to be unreasonable. And he was like, perfect. <laughs> he loves unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to create. Then you have to get out there and make a plan. Then you have to execute, which is the hard work. It takes time. And you gotta just be relentless and burn the ships, which you've heard me talk about in the past. The soldiers used to arrive on the shores of their enemy and the generals would say, burn the ships. And these soldiers would watch their only way home burn in front of them. And they knew the only way to get home was to win that battle and take the other person's ships. And I think that's the execution, there's no stop. And then there's the final one, which is deliver. Gotta deliver, gotta be consistent. The lesson that's taken me the longest to learn, yet I find to be the most valuable is the power of standing still. I always thought you need to react to everything. I I was raised by a tough European refugee. who grew up in Queens. Actually, my dad taught me how to fight. My reaction always was punch him in the face. You come mess with me, I'll come right back at you. You know, at 35 years old, I have a very different outlook now. Sometimes you have to react, sometimes you have to set a tone, but it's a very powerful thing to be able to completely stand still in a conflict because people don't know what to do and you actually let them play out all their moves right in front of you, and then you know when to strike.
1: Okay, aside from your own, which company in in the world of media and technology do you most admire?
2: Disney. I mean, Disney's just like the all-time greatest. Because once you also understood everything that Disney owns from ESPN to Marvel, the reason I love Disney so much is they make you feel good. When you see that Disney logo, when you see anything Disney, you feel I can bring my kids to this. I can be a part of this. The other company I would talk about, which I admire a tremendous amount, is Facebook. I have a huge amount of respect for Mark Zuckerberg because one, he's a brilliant young guy that he doesn't even remember or realize this. But I was the guy who wrote him when it was the Facebook and Emory was one of the first eight schools. And me and Eduardo negotiated for 10% of Facebook for 100 grand because I was the biggest college party promoter in the country. And Eduardo wrote me an email I still have that says, hey, Mark wants to launch 36 more schools in two weeks. Unfortunately, we're not taking the investment this time. Peter Thiel put in a million bucks for 10% a year later. And I remember when I saw the news with Peter Thiel, I was like, oh my God, I could have made a (laughs) million (laughs) dollars. So I can't say that I really knew what was going on. But the reason I admire him so much is people don't realize that when they IPO'd, they were not a mobile company. They were a desktop company. They had an awful mobile experience. No one used Facebook on their phones. And they're ipo for all this money, but they're not the future.
1: They and, transitioned quickly.
2: But it's because of Mark. Mark went into a meeting, and I've heard this story many times, and it's something I implemented in my company. Mark went in and said, unless you can show me presentation on my phone, I'm not going to look at it. I won't look at your PowerPoints. You need to show me on my phone. And they were like, okay, great. Two weeks later, his CMO comes in with everybody, and they start showing PowerPoint, and he literally walks out. And they're like, what the hell? And he's like, get out. I don't want he said, unless you can show me on my phone. And every presentation had to go on the phone. And that company transitioned to mobile overnight because they had no choice but to do so because it starts from the top down. And you can ask anyone in this office, we do not do presentations on screens. You have to show me on my phone. I stole it from Mark. All of our videos, I don't want to watch it on the big screen. They're like, if you see it on the big screen with the big speakers, I don't care. I want to see it how the consumer sees it. And I see everything on my phone. Because of that lesson from Mark Zuckerberg. The third one, if you don't mind me throwing a third one no, in there, these are great. I respect Richard Branson so much. You know, been an incredible entrepreneur. It's more so how he carries himself. I've had the honor of getting to know his daughter, Holly, really, really well. And I know Sam, his son. The way his children speak about him, I hope my boys speak about me the same way someday.
1: From being your friend and being a collaborator and obviously knowing your family and seeing you on Instagram, you are leading by example in those ways. Bigger picture, go macro for a minute. Which societal issues do you face in the world are you really getting behind now?
2: I think recently what I've decided is to pick the issues that don't stop us from talking to each other as quickly. There's complicated issues. I think when people talk about pro-choice versus abortion, they don't even fathom the fact that a lot of people who believe in pro-choice aren't against abortion. They just want women to have a right to choose. But you don't even get to have that conversation because people see red before you can get there. When you talk about guns, I had an opportunity to talk to um, Gabby Gifford and her husband, Mark Kelly. Mark, like me, believes that people should have guns. Mark owns multiple guns, but he's one of the biggest advocates out there for gun control. But when you start talking about guns, people, say see red. They can't see it. Things that we can talk about that people can discuss are corruption and injustice. Those are things we can start with. People can get read about immigration, but we need to talk about it. My dad's a refugee in this country. I can't ignore that. I can't ignore people that can't speak for themselves i'll discuss early education for children because i think that that needs to get a lot better and if we actually understand that we're all in it together to make sure our children get a proper education and get opportunities we can start having conversations respectfully and saying hey i may disagree with you on this but i'll acknowledge part of what you're saying let me tell you what i'm saying and have an open dialogue we've forgotten how to do that i think the number one thing before i can talk to issues is I want to use my platform to show people how to have a conversation again.
1: I think you want to wake up in the morning and have people have to have a meeting and that meeting to have worth. Yeah. And that's your from your mission statement. And you certainly want to inspire people to try, which I think you're doing right now with all of us. You're a young guy 35 years old, still building the company. We're going to talk about all the successes, not just the failures, but I mean, have you had a chance to fail yet? Or do you just are you anticipating the fact that You're trying to train your employees. You're trying to build a company and a culture that can embrace it. So you try new things.
2: Look, I I think this idea of had a chance to fail, I failed hundreds of times. I just don't think people see them as failures because I didn't treat them as failures. If I gave up, then that failure in that moment would have been cemented as a failure because I chose to continue and treat it as a pit stop. People just see it as part of my journey. Like They could have seen Ariana firing me, you know, a failure but I chose to continue to build the business and develop a strategy. And she came back to the company and signed a longer term contract. Now people look at it as like, oh my God, isn't that amazing? She left and came back. I I think it's all relative. You know, I do this thing when I speak where I always ask everyone, if you could make a billion dollars, would you do it? If you didn't have to do anything immoral. And everyone raises their hand. And then I say, okay, how much of that money would you spend if you or someone you loved was sick and they were dying? how much money would you spend to save them? And everyone raised their hand, they'd spend all of it. And I always say to them, I was like, do you have your health? The people you love, are they healthy right now? Well, if you have that, you're better off than being a billionaire yesterday. Like, it's just perspective. You know, yeah, I'm a young guy. I expect to fail a hundred more times. But I get to wake up in the morning and go again.
1: It's a great model. It's a great culture and you're applying it. Well, tell me about the company. I mean, you obviously manage the careers of not just Ariana Grande, but Justin Bieber, Carly Kloss. You have brands and superstars. How do you find them? How do you build them? Kanye West, obviously another one, huge. How do you find the superstars? How do you know? And how do you think about the brand building business right now?
2: I always compare the superstars to like finding love. You can look as hard as you want and you might not find it. And then one day it finds you. With Justin, it was being on the internet that day. He wasn't looking for me. I had a concept of something I was looking for and I stumbled onto it. And it found me and my gut went off and I was like, okay, this is it. I know what to do. I see the next eight years clearly in my head. You know, with Ariana, I saw her sing this little, th- she was on a you know, secondary character on the Nickelodeon show. And I saw her sing this cover, one of Justin's songs and something clicked. And I was like, okay, why is no one, you know, making this girl a superstar? And I thought she had a manager. So I stayed away because I don't poach. And then six months later, I found out she'd been trying to get to me. And that was that. Martin Garrix, I bet on a guy named Mike George. I thought he was super talented. He had another artist that I wasn't sure about, but I was really blown away with what the job he'd done. And I found out that, you know, that artist wasn't treating him well. And I went to him and said, look, you think I'm interested in the artist. I'm more interested in you. And for six months, I just bet on him, flew him around different festivals. And I knew he would come back. One day he shows up and he signs a 17-year-old kid who becomes three years later the number one DJ in the world. You know, my gut said to bet on him. And, you know, he and I just got back from a meeting and I love the guy. And sometimes they find you, Kanye. Kanye called me. We started having a conversation as friends. And then he goes, You know what? You should manage me. (laughs) You should team up with Izzy and you guys should manage me together. And I said, No, that's not a good idea. We're friends. Let's not go there. One day I get a phone call from Adidas and they're in negotiations with him. I get a phone call from Def Jam and they said, Hey, we're told not to talk to anyone, but you, you're his manager. And I said, I'm not his manager. We just talked yesterday. And they, I called Kai. and said, what's going on? And he goes, I don't have time to wait. You're my manager. You know, and we've gone an amazing run. He's become one of my closest friends.
1: And you're building the brand in different ways. And probably yeah. Yeah. We have Car-
2: Carly Kloss, you know, number two earning model in the world. I've taken her there and she's just one of the kindest, most wonderful people in the world. And our first scripted TV show, Scorpion on CBS, just got its fourth season on CBS. Mm-hmm. Our first movie was the biggest grossing documentary of all time domestically. We're having a lot of fun and we're doing a lot of cool stuff, but it's all about kind of the adventure. It's wake up in the morning and say, what can we try today? And you know, seeing where the adventure takes us.
1: Yeah, it's very similar to how I think about the world as we build our firm as well, hence the podcast. But the business is evolving. I mean, now you have so many different distribution models, not just in music itself, but outlets across the world, whether it's here or in China, massive platforms. So does that help your journey when you think about the brand and what it could become. It's not just the music, the movies. I mean, it helps me
2: because I'm a restless soul. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that the idea of doing the same old thing, regardless, you know, I've been speaking a lot about this, but this Albert Einstein quote, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it right today, but, you know, be not for success, but be a value. To be successful and be a value are two very different things. You know, I could stay on the same exact track and make a ton of money, because I put in the time and the effort and I can have a tremendous amount of success, but I'm not living up to my full potential and my value. And I think value is what you give to others. Success is what you give to yourself. And I think all these outlets allow me to kind of chase that restlessness of trying new things and creating value for myself and for others, whether it be in the music business or the branding business or the tech business or philanthropy, being able to take the freedom that I have from those other businesses and spread that out to other people.
1: Yeah, my favorite uh, quote from Einstein is uh, related, but it says, I may not be any smarter than everybody else, but I definitely know how to stay with a problem for a longer period of time, <laughs> which means that you have to be comfortable wrestling with yeah. it in order to find a solution. It's the journey. Mm-hmm.
2: 100%. One of my uh, mentors is David Geffen. It's funny. I always have such an honor you know, saying that because when I was 19, I learned about him and studied him. And then now to have him as someone I can turn to in my life for advice, it's been incredibly valuable. And David's given me a tremendous amount of help over the years and kind of just guidance in life. One of the things that he taught me was this idea. He said, look, in 100 years, no one's going to remember me. So they sure as hell won't remember you. Don't have an ego. And he's right. You can't take yourself too seriously because this is a moment in time. And what are you going to do to add to others that continue? Because you don't get to. But one of the things I said to him we first sat down, I said, I have to ask you, you've done it as well or better than anybody ever before. When are you finally content? When is enough enough? And he looked at me like I was crazy and he said, never. He goes, that's not life. Life doesn't get you to a promised land. He goes, life goes up and down, up and down. There's days you're happy and there's days you're sad. And that's the journey. He goes, you need to read this poem. And he gave me this poem, Ithaca. It's an old Greek poem. And it speaks of traveling to this island of Ithaca. It's now my favorite poem. I named one of my companies after it. Hmm. It talks about traveling this island, Ithaca. And it talks about the things that you'll see along the way. And when you finally reach Ithaca, if you find her poor, she did not treat you because it was always about the voyage. And I think that's one of the most important lessons you can have in life.
1: Yeah, I always relate it back to the arc of life. Like you have this perspective and you mentioned it. We're only here for a short period of time and you have to know how to play into the arc of time because eventually it will end. So you have to accomplish as much as you can while you're here and then hopefully make it durable. Yeah. And what you're doing with SP Projects and your approach to life and your company and your culture and your artists you are imparting more than just the business. You're imparting a philosophy.
2: I'm trying. So are you. That's why we get along. <laughs> <laughs> trying to. There's something very special. When people meet successful people, they get very excited because they want to know what the sauce is. But I think when you meet successful people that are happy, there's a whole different level of excitement. You want to be around those people. When I first met you, it's a compliment to you on your own podcast, so take it. <laughs> but when I met you, I was like, oh, you know, who is he? And explain. I said, what, are, you know, Great guy, everyone had amazing things to say about you and super successful, but it was your energy of like, you're a good guy. And I saw you at the the Jets game with your kid. And like, I see you at the concerts with your family. And I, you know, I have dinner with you and your wife. And like, you get what it's really about, that all the work allows you to have the freedom to do the things that you love. And I think that's why people gravitate towards you because they want that sauce that you have beyond the financial success you have the true success, which is what we all work so hard for in the first place, which is to be happy.
1: This may be the only podcast we have to do, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate all that. And I feel the same about you. And I think it also, the energy you're describing as it relates to you, Scooter, speaks to growth. What you're going to do in the future is a different slope than people looking at you today. And that's what's exciting to me about your company and how you're approaching the business and the artists. You just start thinking about things in a much faster way and you are living in an age of technology disruption and when you look at your artists and you're thinking about you know where to break a song or where to align with a platform you know what's the hot thing today what is what's the trend is it snap is it facebook is it amazon i
2: think for every artist is different some need twitter some need snapchat some need instagram you know some need youtube facebook i think is the most powerful of them all personally because i think it's a place where everything can live And it's the only place where people actually put their personal information. So you get to see a real identity of somebody. But I think, you know, musically just emerged and you have all these different companies coming out these different platforms. It's about how you use it. When I first went on Twitter, all these celebrities were on the suggested user list and they were the only people over a million followers. And they all just talked to people they knew and everyone else was very voyeuristic and just watched them. So I said, this is not how you should use this. So, you know, with Justin, we started following people and we started interacting with the fans. And Justin was the fastest growing person on Twitter to the point where they had to dedicate 10% of their servers just to his traffic. And he was the first person who wasn't on the suggested user list across a million people. And the second was me, you know, because I was doing the same thing. Uh I think it's just about identifying a platform where people are and then deciding how you're going to use it. My philosophy, which you're pointing to, is I go back to this this restlessness. I've always been the kid who wanted to understand how everything works. And why am I going to do that the same way that everyone else does it? I literally used to say, well, what do you mean old people move to Boca? Well, why do we have to wait till we're 80? If Boca is so good, why don't we just move to Boca now? Like, like, <laughs> like we should make young communities in Boca. And I used to call it Boca Youngo. It was like a joke. Also,
1: awesome. <laughs> some tax advantages.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My whole philosophy is why wait until I'm at that age if I can find ways to enjoy life now? And I'm willing to put in the work because there's no substitute for anything. You know, hard work is the only way you get there.
1: I'm affiliated with the Lincoln Center and obviously in New York, the iconic uh, music hall. And they have a global exchange a few times a year. And the next exchange they're having is with art times technology. So how does art and technology relate to each other over time? And I kind of thinking about you and your artists, because the way that a, a mature artist or a classic and iconic artist that has have been around for, you know, 50 or 60 years, thinks about technology is a lot different from how your artists think about it. Yeah. Because, you know, it has to be consistently evolving and morphing and, entrepreneurial in its own right. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about just the pure artistic nature of what you're doing and the distribution that you have available to you today?
2: I tell artists today, you know, I go give talks. I was at USC the other day and they were like, how do we get to somebody like you? And my response is, what do you care? Like, why the fuck do you want to meet someone like me? I'm a suit now. You're given tools you can break the entire world in your living room. Artists used to have to travel around this country region by region over long periods of time to hope to break just this country, then they'd have to start all over again in a different country, in the next country, in the next country. And these amazing tools, thanks to technology, are given to you where you can share your craft and your ideas globally very, very quickly. So if you want to meet someone like me, what's the point? You want to meet me to be able to get to other people, to get to the masses. I'm a gatekeeper to the masses. Well, guess what? The gate is now wide open for everybody. So what you should do is try and get the masses and then hope someone like me calls and says, please, please let me work with you because I'm smart enough to know what to do now. But don't worry about getting to me first. That's the beautiful part of technology and art. We've taken away this opportunity to stifle art. What do you mean? You could be a great artist and you go in somebody's office and they might not like you. And that's it. They're the gatekeeper. They've closed the door. And maybe you never get hurt because most great artists I know got no's along the way. Every one of my artists got tons of no's. But we built it up on YouTube so that they couldn't deny it anymore. And then they were like, how the hell did this happen? And I think that's what you're seeing here. You know, you're seeing artists taking it into their own hands. Would Chance the Rapper be Chance the Rapper if he didn't do it his way? I don't think so. You know, if Justin Bieber would have never gotten signed if it wasn't for YouTube. I think technology is allowing artists to go direct to the consumer in a way we've never seen before to the point where when Justin had his tough years and Gaga had her tough years in the past, those gatekeepers might've said, you know what, they're, they're losing it and close the door. And they would say, but I'm good now. I got healthy. I'm ready. And all the doors would have been closed. But now they got 80 million, 100 million people following them on the internet. And they're like, guys, not only am I good now, but you've watched me go through the whole process because you've never left me. And I don't need the gatekeepers. I can speak to you right now from my phone. And there's a connection between the artists and their fans that we've never seen before.
1: And have you ever had a situation where you have turned down an artist and they showed up somewhere else given technology?
2: No, I've never turned down an artist where they've shown up somewhere else with technology. But I have missed out on artists where I was late. Um, Where I was like, damn, I wish I had that. I I was speaking to them and someone else got to it first. Mm -hmm. I've had that happen. Someone wrote me on Facebook and I didn't know that they wrote me. And years later, I'm friends with this artist, Travis Scott. He's become a very big artist. And he and I are friends. And I put him on, you know, this Justin song. And like, we're boys. And I'm cleaning out my Facebook because I'm like, God, all these people write me, And I see Travis Scott. I'm like, what the heck? When did I become friends with this guy? Like, is this the real Travis Scott? And I click to see if he's ever written me. And four years earlier, he's written me, hey, I'm in Houston. And I got this group. And uh, we're not what people think. And I'm telling you, I'm talented. And I'd love to get with you. I called Travis right there on his cell phone. and I said, Travis, I just got this message on Facebook. It's four years ago. You finally saw it. (laughs) It was him. And I had no idea. I'd completely missed out on the message.
1: It goes back to one of your other uh, lessons for life, which is clean your inbox out.
2: Yeah, 100%. (laughs) That was in the phase of my life where uh, I wasn't cleaning out the inbox as regularly as I should.
1: So given this democratization of technology and art on technology, are the business models now caught up to that? or No. Takes a while. No, I think screaming
2: is happening a lot faster than we we thought it would happen. But I think that we're going to see even more. We're still going through the growing pains. We're teenagers. Our knees hurt and our ankles hurt because we're growing so much. But I think in the next five to 10 years, it's going to show what it is. And, you know, we'll have something steady for a little while until the next piece of technology. I mean, technology is, at least in the music business, has always been the greatest disruptor. You know, the reason we have a music business is Tesla made the radio. Before then, there wasn't a reason for a music business. So technology actually created our entire business and then has continually disrupted it. So it's always funny to me when I see executives like fighting the wave of a technology because I'm like, you wouldn't even have a job if it wasn't for technology. It's
1: just a new way to distribute content.
2: And by the way, the one thing that never changes is self-discovery. As long as you can understand that, great music and self-discovery. You make great songs, things will happen no matter what people say. A hit is a hit is a hit. The feeling of self-discovery, my dad going into a store and discovering some vinyl and someone giving me a mixtape for Biggie when I was at a basketball camp, that vinyl he found in that store and that Biggie experience, that was the same thing. That was self-discovery. Kids go on the internet now on SoundCloud and they hear something before it gets huge. There's a feeling of self-discovery. That will never change. Where people find self-discovery will change. But as long as you cater to that, you'll be successful in this business.
1: Incredible. I appreciate your being here and I love your perspective. I hope to uh, watch you grow the company for a very long time as your friend and as your admirer and obviously as uh, your business partner. Thank you, Scooter.
0: I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review there as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Keep listening and see you next time. Audiation.